Mac Power Users, Episode 442, Workflows with Joe Bulig. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal, David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I am doing great, and I'm looking forward to recording the Mac Power Users. Uh, we are here with our uh, friend of the show and a uh, Discourse uh, forum builder extraordinaire, Joe Bulick. Welcome to the show, Joe. Well, thank you, Katie and David. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been listening to Mac Power users for a very long time, so it's kind of an honor. So thank you. Well, Joe, you've, you've been on the show before, you know. I know, but it's not a full episode, so they're different, right? Oh, you, you were expecting <laughs> to be here for a full episode this time? Oh, <laughs> Oh, right. Right. Sure. Um, well, OK. <laughs> uh, that, it's really one of the nice things of going to the uh, Mac stock for me was, was hooking up with a lot of friends. And Joe and I have been I, I'd, I'd say we've had an e-lationship for years now where we talk, but we've never met. So we finally got a chance to have a meal together and, and enjoy each other's company. Before we get started, just a couple announcements. The um, first of all, speaking of Joe Bulick, the forum is going great and um, everybody, please, I encourage you, if you haven't signed up there yet, you should go. Once again, I think we've built a wonderful community. Um, I was talking to Rose, and she says there's not even that much moderating to do because everybody there is so nice. So just go in and have a good time, please, with it. Yeah, you can find that over at uh, talk.macpowerusers.com. Yes, it would help if I gave the address. It would. It? Yeah, this, you know, this is an audio <laughs> podcast. It's like when I ordered a pizza the other day. I said, yeah, I'm just on. I'm over there on that hill. Just bring it there. Um, and then the other thing is, I apologize. My audio is a little boomy today. I'm still in the, in the process. of. I am in the new office, which is pretty cool. But I uh, he's physically sitting in the new office. Yes, I love it. I have my own space. Oh, you know what I did that was really cool? So for years now, Daisy's been bugging me about having a some kind of way to say that I'm, you know, recording so she doesn't, you know, barge in the room while I'm recording. And she says, you need to get one of those recording lights, you know, like you saw in the old fashioned TV shows, right? They have the big red light or the radio station it was at WKRP. They had the red light. So I went looking on Amazon and they're all like $200. I don't have any money for that. I've just spent all my money getting the studio built. So I found on Amazon, I'll put a link in it. It's, it's like eight bucks. It's a little LED. I think it's like an accent light or it's something you're supposed to put into your pool because it's waterproof. But it, you can uh, light it up remotely with any color you want. So I just double-sided taped it to the outside of the door, turned the red light on. Hey, I'm recording. It's great. So do you have like a hallway outside your door or anything that has like a light outside your door? Well, no. Uh, sort of. I know where you're going with it, but it, there are can lights and they're already all. So get get yourself one of those uh, hue lights that go in a can. Yeah, I could do that, except for the fact that um, I'm not sure that my family would even look up. They would just go in with a with a door with a little light on the door itself, where when you touch the handle, you're looking. It's right at your eye level. I think that's my safest bet. And it was eight bucks. So it wasn't that expensive. And the cool thing is I've got a remote so I can just as I'm sitting here getting ready to record, I just press the little remote and the light went on outside the door and I feel kind of kind of like fancy now. Yeah. You know, I saw a Kickstarter at one point for a, a Bluetooth enabled sign that you could get customized done. And the people actually sent me an email about it and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to we're going to send you one because it's going to be great for podcasting. And then like so many Kickstarters, I never heard from them again. When I was looking on Amazon, somebody just made a door hanger, you know, just like when you go to a hotel, it says, you know, service the room now. 
It just said it just says recording on it. I mean, that's the obvious answer. It was it was even less than seven dollars, and um, but I I wanted something fancy, so I got the light, the eight dollar light. You wanted something yeah. fancy? <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, I, th- this is the problem, Joe. Now that I have options, I I can make it any color I want. So it's like, what do what do I do if I make it green? You know, does that mean I want her to come in and give me a hug? You know, like I feel, you know, I'm sad and I need a hug or what if I make it yellow? What does that mean? So I, I've got to work out a whole code system with my wife now. So you should have it turn red anytime you just want peace and quiet. Is that how this is going to end up working out? Probably. Or I'm taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I have a hue light at my, my front door. In fact, I think, um, uh, hey, Siri, turn the front door light red. There you go. Do you realize you just turned the front door light red for like probably 10% of our audience? At least. You. There you go. At least. You're welcome. <laughs> um, that's cool. I mean, so like for holidays, right? You can like at Halloween, you make it orange and Christmas, you make it red or green, right? That's the idea. Yeah, nice. Well, Joe, what about you? Do you have any fancy lights in your house? <laughs> well, this show got off the rails real fast, didn't it? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this on this show. We have zero smart home automation anything in our house. So, you know, it's, it's a thing people have told me I need to do for a long time. I've never fully understood it. I've never even really experimented with it. So there's, there's my, you know, I'll hand in my nerd card now. Because <laughs> this is not a thing I've not I've done. Well, just to just to make it clear to the to the dear listeners, part of our outline today includes a discussion of Joe's wind up record player. So you, I'd say you're on brand. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the way I roll is let's go old school and do it the old ways. Pull out the pen and paper and get her done. Like that's <laughs> kind of how it goes. Pen and paper, I understand. A wind-up record player, however, <laughs> I, you're going to have to really convince me on that I one. will you, say the records are cheap. <laughs> I will give you that. All right. Um, but before we get there, um, so Joe, in addition to being uh, an, a cranky analog guy in a lot of ways, is also very tech-savvy. I mean, he runs a, a whole business built around um, uh, liberating companies from Facebook with discourse forums, and he helped us out as part of that. Uh, he is an IT director for his local church. In addition, he's got several successful podcasts, Bookworm, which is one I would recommend. It's also got my pal, Mike Schmitz, who co-hosts the uh, free agents with me on it. Um, this Bookworm podcast is that these crazy guys read like a productivity book every week or two. I think they actually read more than that. They don't, they're, they have, what do you call that? You have a, a buy an off week book or something. What do you call it? Well, we call it a gap book. So we read a book every two weeks, get together, talk about it on the show. But Mike and I are, you know, big time readers. So that a, a book every two weeks isn't enough. So we end up reading what we call a gap book in between those. So it's, it, it works out to roughly a book every week. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a great podcast. Uh, you can read along with them or like me, you can just crib the ones that sound good to you. And occasionally I will actually go back and read the book. A lot of times I treat you guys like my own personal cliff notes and I don't even go any further. <laughs> Glad we could help. And then uh, they also has another great podcast called Whims That Work. And forget I forget your uh, your co-host name. Sure, that's that's Drew Kaufman. So that's kind of a the title is very fitting on that one because most of the time we don't know the topic until the other one says hello. So <laughs> that one's definitely a whim, whatever strikes us in the moment sort of show. That's how we do this show, right, Katie? Many days it is. That's how it turns out. <laughs> 
Um, and then uh, Joe also does his own discourse forum called the Productivity Guild, which I'm a member of, where people who are interested in being a little more productive come and have a nice little community together. And uh, so Joe's a really busy guy. And uh, he, he claims to be all this analog stuff, but he also does all this digital stuff. And um, we haven't done a full show with Joe, so we wanted to get him in here to talk about all the things you're doing. And I guess the starting place for all that, Joe, is, you know, what's your gear? What are you using? Other than the wind-up record player. I know, right? <laughs> this is this is probably going to be underwhelming, if anything, because I'm one of these guys that runs uh, a MacBook Pro and nothing else. So I have zero external screens on this at all. And I set it up in a stand at my desk, and that is the sum total of what I use. So it, it's pretty basic. I mean, outside of that, I've got the iPhone 10, and I have zero iPads. Uh, it's just those two devices. I do all of my stuff off of those two. So it's it's pretty basic, David. I mean, it's... <laughs> no, that, but that's exactly what we want to hear, because there's a lot of people listening to the show that aren't excited about the iPad, and they want to talk about Macs. And, you know, one week we'll have somebody on that doesn't, you know, that doesn't have any Macs and just uses iPads. And next week we've got Joe here, who has, is largely focused on a Mac <laughs> development business. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, let me ask you, have you ever had an iPad? Did you try one and just decide it wasn't your thing, or have you just never had an interest? I have owned three different iPads. So I had the first generation, the very first one that came out. Uh, I personally owned that one. And then when I joined a corporate company about a year later, year and a half later or so, uh, they provided me with one. So I sold my uh, first generation. And then whenever I left corporate to go work for a virtual company, I of course had to hand in the iPad then. And then the virtual company gave me one as well. And then I left the virtual company to start my own and I just never replaced it. Uh, partially because I found that every time I had the iPad, I was hooking a keyboard up to it. And I'm such a developer that I can almost always do things faster or more efficiently on the Mac than I can on the iPad. So it never made sense to me as to why I would have an iPad and hook a keyboard up to it when that now operates very similarly to the Mac. So I just always opted for just taking the Mac with me everywhere I went, which is why I don't use the external screens because I just got to where I was traveling and doing things on the road so much that just making sure everything operates on that one computer. All I ever need is that one device and I can do absolutely anything. I'm never dependent on an external screen of any kind because I'm just so used to operating off of the single and it's even a 13 inch. It's not even a 15. So it's, it's, small real estate, but think about what I'm doing. Like I'm running multiple servers on this thing at one time. I'm usually running two or three web browsers at one time, trying to do some testing on the development that I'm doing. You know, it, it ends up being a lot and somehow it works. <laughs> Maybe I just have good workflows with switching between applications, but overall it's treated me really well. So I have used iPads in the past. Uh, I, I think part of the issue at least for me, because I, I have toyed with picking one up again. And part of the reason for that is for note taking, because I've played around with a couple of friends that have the iPad pros and playing with the latency or the lack thereof with uh, the pencil. Like that part is appealing to me, but it seems kind of overkill to buy an iPad just so I can write on the screen when I carry notebooks with me everywhere I go anyway. So 
you know, give or take there. You know, that that cost has gone down now, though. You used to have to have an iPad Pro and at, a, at the cost premium and an Apple Pencil and all that to, to take handwritten notes on the iPad. But now you can get a, away with it with, with just the base level iPad and the, the Apple Pencil. It's, it's not nearly as expensive a proposition as it used to be if you wanted to try it again. Right. I'd love to see it in the mini, <laughs> but I think a lot of people would sit in that boat. <laughs> I, I don't know that we're going to continue to see the mini. <laughs> How about I just love to see a mini. <laughs> fair enough. Fair point. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, my uh, my mom still has a mini. She has the is it the second generation mini that got a, a pretty nice uh, bump. But from the from the first generation mini and she really only takes it with her on vacation. But we we pulled it out. And every time I pull it out, we pull it out of a drawer every couple of months and we have to run all the updates and, and all those things. And I looked and I was like, this is such a nice little iPad. I, I kind of, there's something about the mini. I don't know. But the, the day that Joe Bulick gives up his notebooks and his fancy pens for an iPad with an Apple pencil, I'm going to cry a single tear. I just want you to know. You know, it's interesting, though, when you talk about that, because, uh, you know, the iPad, you didn't take to it for a lot of reasons. But, you know, we hear from people who are big on iPad and most of them. If you listen to the type of work they do, it's more traditional writing email type work. Uh, we just, you know, we, we had guests on the show recently that were writers that just use the iPad. I've never heard of anybody that makes their living writing code that thinks of the iPad as an exclusive computer that that can replace their Mac. I don't think we've ever talked to one. I'm sure somebody will write me and tell me we have, but I think it's a very um, uncommon for someone who writes code not to want to have a Mac. Yeah, I've had numerous people bring up this particular point, and I will say that the the iOS apps around development are getting better. Um, one that I use, it's even on my home screen, is called Shelly. Uh, it's probably not one you've heard of. You know, it's not in the mainstream apps, but it's command line for your phone. And it, it means that I can log into servers from my phone and run stuff on them. Now, because I can do it on my phone, that means you can also do it on the iPad. So uh, essentially, you know, for the non-developers out there, that means I can write uh, code and push websites from an iPad. That, that is possible. The, the difference is that when you go to that environment, you have to use a server or a box somewhere that's not the iPad itself. Like I have to have a server sitting on someone else's system and in the cloud somewhere. Use, you know, iCloud would be an example. I don't, I've never tried to do that uh, using iCloud itself for development, but you have to use an external cloud like that in some way. When I'm doing it on my Mac, I don't need that. I can build websites without an internet connection. So I, I don't even need to have that connection to the outside world. But if you're doing it on an iPad, you do need that. And the other issue with that is every time I make an edit on the Mac, that change reflects instantly on the website that I'm working on. If I do it on the iPad or on my phone, it's this whole process of, you know, commit it, push it, refresh the website. And that could take 30, 45 seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot of time, but when you compare it to half a second, that's huge when you multiply that over 120 times in a day. Like that adds up very quickly. So 
I don't see that changing until Apple lets us run local servers, which would <laughs> require them to really open the doors on what they allow on the iPad or on the phone. Like that would that would be the day. I, I would be shocked. The guys on the workflow team and the series shortcuts teams, like those guys would have a heyday <laughs> if that stuff got opened up. But I, I just don't see that happening. So what you're saying is you could eat spaghetti and meatballs without silverware, but it wouldn't be ideal. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it's, it's like writing, writing code on your phone or even your iPad. I guess the iPad with it. Yeah. There's just a lot of limitations. It's an interesting point because um, whenever I talk to a developer, I hear the same story. And, and my guess is, I mean, I don't know anything and we don't do rumors on the show anyway, but my guess is that the uh, the the Mac over time is going to creep towards an iPad more than an iPad is going to creep in the direction that allows you to do software development like you're talking about. Maybe I I don't know. I I figure I'm I'm doing good to keep up with you know what I got going on. I don't really get into the rumor side of it, but it would be interesting. I mean, they did some stuff with the with what they're allowing for cross development across platforms. Uh, so you can build one app and potentially get it to show up on both the Mac and iOS at the same time. Like that would be kind of interesting, but I'm mostly a web developer. So my stuff shows up on all the devices already anyway. <laughs> so it, it, it's easy for me to hit all platforms right now. And then how do you do what, you know, I hate to do this cause you know, I, I don't like the distinction, but a lot of people traditionally look at the iPad as a content consumption device, you know, to read the web and things like that. How do you do that without an iPad? Is it, what's your, uh, what do you use? Uh, well, uh, let, uh, let's start with the fact that I do very little of it. <laughs> so that's, that's step one. Step two is I'm probably reading maybe six to 10 legit articles every week. Uh, that is the sum total of what I'm reading. Uh, I do it on the Mac. I, I, I have a process that I go through just to skim over feeds. Most of the time the headline tells me everything I need to know. And if I want to read into it, I'm just going to open a new tab with it and I let it sit there and I'll read it when I get a chance. So don't tell David Allen, like that's <laughs> not the good way to handle managing that sort of thing. I should be using like Instapaper or something, but you know, it, I, I, I just read so little of it that I don't find myself needing to consume a lot. So I just do it on the Mac. And then as a bookworm listener, I remember now that you said once that you, you don't read electronic books either, right? No, I don't. I'm I'm not even an audiobook fan, really. Uh, everything is paper books for me. It just has a good feel to it. Like it just, it's different. So you get there with your wind up record player, your paper <laughs> books. Do you have a pipe? You, I, I'm imagining with a smoking jacket and a pipe as well. You know, I played around with getting into cigars at one point. Of but course no. you did. <laughs> yep. No. No. Never did the pipe thing. You added years to your life. You're good. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter. Head over to textexpander.com slash podcasts for 20% off your first year. As you probably know, I'm a big fan and daily user of Text Expander. Text Expander is one of my favorite productivity tools because it's so easy to use that anybody can do it and it saves you time immediately. Text Expander is a snippets app, which means anything you type repeatedly. Text Expander can do for you automatically. But Text Expander is also so much more. Text Expander brings power to snippet apps 
making it really easy to do things like automate sending emails or website addresses, or even today's date, because Text Expander is smart enough to get today's date and create a snippet for you. Do you have people often asking you for directions to your house or your office? Make it a text expander snippet. You can even do it with rich text and a picture. Once you create that snippet, you'll never have to explain how to get there again. I use it on a daily basis with my publishing business. When someone sends me a question, I have a text expander snippet that usually takes care of it for me. I have a team account with text expander, so my assistant can even send out those snippets when I ask her to, giving exactly the text that I want. Also, text expander is now multi-platform. That means you can summon these snippets in any app on the Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad using just an abbreviation or search for them using a hotkey while you're typing. There's a bunch of extra tools in addition to automatically adding the date. You can have fill-in fields like if you're preparing emails, it can say dear and then you insert the name in the blank. Or you can even use an Apple script that I've listed on the website to automatically do that for you. Because Text Expander can run Apple script. There's a reason why Text Expander keeps coming up on the Mac Power users, and that's because it's a really powerful application that we use every day to get our work done. So why don't you power up your whole team by sharing your snippets? Visit TextExpander.com podcast for 20% off your first year. Text Expander can help you communicate smarter starting today. Go check it out. All right, Joe, there's one other thing. The first thing I put in the outline when I heard you wanted to come on the show is a section called Analog Joe. And I've been teasing you about it already because, well, in fact, let's just let's just deal with the the monkey or the gorilla on the couch. What is it with this this wind up record player? Sure, sure. Well, okay. so the wind up record player is it's a 19. I I looked it up right before we got it because I knew you were going to ask me this question. It's a 1920 Victrola, but it's the suitcase model. And this is actually one that was imported from Europe. And I think it was imported in technically like 1923 or something like that. Um, it was weird how they date them and such. But anyway, the the record player itself was a Christmas present to my wife with, for our first Christmas together after we got married. And that was partially because my wife is very much a music person. She loves musicals. She's always singing. She's She's just big into that sort of thing. So I bought this for her kind of as a, an intro into like the old way of doing music. And there's something special about being able to hold a record and say, here's a song because that's the 78s, the 78 RPM records, the old shellac, real thick ones that, that play on that. It's even got the metal tip needle on it. So it's old school, but the sound on that you can't get anywhere else. And I do enough audio sound stuff to get picky about all that. But it's, you know, it's got a different tone to it. It's got a different quality to it. It's not perfect, but there's something endearing about that. So, yes, we have a wind-up record player. And we play it multiple times through the year. I'm actually kind of disappointed, honestly, because anybody that's self-respecting about this is, would get the 1921 version. Everybody knows that's the true. <laughs> that is the true analog. It's not the one that has the big horn on the top. It's not the classic that you would see, but yeah, it's still cool, though. Yeah, If you ever get near one with a big horn on the top, I want you to take a picture of yourself next to it and please send it to me. I'll make it my wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold you to that. <laughs> okay, but, so we teach you enough, but but you really do uh, do some analog stuff. We talk a lot about digital solutions on this show, and one of the things that you were doing for quite a while is you were running your task management system on paper. Yeah. 
So how'd you get there and, and how'd that work out for you? Sure. Yeah. No, I, you know, I've been a big OmniFocus user for a long time and even, you know, did a whole course on it. But with that, I found that I was putting absolutely everything in OmniFocus, which is both a blessing and a curse. So it was awesome because I always knew I had everything captured in OmniFocus. So it's, it's brilliant for that. But what I found was I was doing client work. I was doing the development itself and really things were moving fast enough per project that I I really just needed a list of projects. I didn't need to manage all the little tiny details. And then I found that like some of my recurring stuff, I could just slip onto a digital calendar and get it out of OmniFocus and I could just eliminate an entire app out of my system and just keep it in a notebook. I was already carrying a notebook around with me everywhere for meeting notes and, you know, brainstorming sessions and such. I was doing that already. So I knew that putting things on paper had a, it has a different uh, mental clarity that comes with it that I, I find very hard to get from a digital system. So I, I ended up you know, doing the classic, you know, here's a list of projects. I'm a big time getting things done practitioner. So I, I I tend to follow a lot of the David Allen stuff and talk about those systems a lot, but I had my list of projects, you know, my client stuff that was going on. I had my personal stuff that was going on. And then I just had two or three lists of the tasks that needed to show up at different times. Like what am I doing during my workday? What am I doing after my workday? That is like the sum total of the lists that I kept. And there's there's something amazing about the simplicity of that because it meant that I was only ever looking in one or two places like that was it so it was really nice but the problem came when I started to hire a bunch of contractors to help me with the development my business got to where it was growing quickly and I went from managing two or three clients in a week to managing anywhere around 18 to 24 in a week and with that level of uh, projects going on. I was writing projects down and scratching them off within a day or two. And it was just a lot. It, it meant that I was spending, you know, an hour every day just managing things on paper. And it's like, forget this. <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. So I, I went back to OmniFocus purely because of the speed of it, but I've been using it very differently as a result. I, I kind of still, like I still use the, the, the paper notebook regularly for like today lists or you know if we're going packing we just got back from a camping trip yesterday so I had lists of things that I needed to do you know during or before that trip like all of that's done on paper Uh, I don't know it's just it's nice to have it around and I find that I am more free with what I write down than I am when I'm in the digital side and here's the other side of it too sometimes my tasks when I write them down they're not necessarily words that I'm writing down. They're sometimes pictures. And that has to do with the development side of things that I'm in. Because I have people doing the actual coding for me most of the time, I still do a lot of it. But the vast majority of the work that I'm personally doing has to do with brainstorming and coming up with ideas for my clients. And that means I'm sketching web designs quite a bit and trying to figure out how certain functions and features are going to work for them. And that doesn't always mean that I'm writing words down. I'm draw, I'm sketching pictures on a note card or writing that out in my, my notebook. So it made sense to me to keep everything paper since I was capturing so much on paper. But 
it moves too fast. So I'm still drawing all my pictures on paper, but now I'm snapping pictures and dropping it in OmniFocus. So I've come full circle. Now I'm kind of hybrid. So I'm all over the place. You know what, Joe? I'm glad you you said that because it really, I had a moment of clarity while I was listening to you. Um, the, uh, and this is the thing, right? When I was in law school, I've talked about this on the show before. I had an, I, my, I had a napkin task management system. I literally, every morning I had breakfast, I wrote down two or three things on a napkin and I stuck it in my pocket. And as the day went on, I struck them out and that's how I got my work done. At the time, all I had to do was, you know, to keep my scholarship, I had to have good grades. And that was my job was to go to school and do the school things. Right. But now my life is way more complicated. You know, three podcasts, a publishing business and a legal practice and the dad and all that other stuff. Um, and so I needed something more complex, but this is the thing. Okay. Um, a, an analog system, like using a piece of paper and a pencil has natural limits to it. I mean, how many things are you getting on a page? 20 things on a page before you run out of paper at some point. Right. Um, whereas a digital system is unlimited in its capacity to load work onto you. And having done the OmniFocus course and talked about this a lot on the podcast, I get this weekly email from people that tells me how um, the system doesn't work for them. And ultimately what you find out is they have put, you know, uh, literally like 5,000 tasks into the system because a computer doesn't care. Give it 5,000, give it 50,000 tasks it will track it for you because that's a computer and that's what they're good at. Um, but as humans, there's only so much we can do. And by forcing yourself onto a piece of paper, you are making a ton of the hard decisions you need to make to get yourself down to just those things that you can complete. And I think that's the attraction of it. Um, uh, I think it can still work digitally, but you still have to make those big boy and big girl decisions about what stays on the list. And if you just let yourself put 5,000 tasks on, you are going to hate your life. It's just, it's just not possible, you know, to do that stuff. Yeah. And, and when you're stuck to a paper system, it, it forces you because it's a bigger commitment to write it down on a piece of paper than it is to type it into a, a digital system. Because you're you're not only taking up space on the page, but it takes longer. Like I don't know about you, but I can type way faster than I can write by hand. Oh, I don't uh, even type. I have auto. I have automation scripts that create twenty step projects for me, and I love them. Yeah, and you can't do any of that on paper. I mean, you could print off checklists and and run them off multiple times. Like you could do that sort of thing. But I mean, I've seen some of the workflows. You know, you were showing me some of that at MacStock. Like, there's no way that you could easily just push a button in the analog world and have it add a project to OmniFocus, drop in a set of notes for your documentation that you're going to create as part of that project, and then go over in six different places and create the documents you need there too. Like you're not going to do that in the analog world. It'd be really cool if you could, but putting all that together and having it auto print maybe would be the closest you could get to that. But I did it all in notebooks. So I wouldn't want a bunch of papers printed off and sitting somewhere else. Like I'm not going to carry binders around with me. That seems like overkill, but you know, it, you can't do a lot of that. So you do lose out on some of those benefits. No, but, but I do think that there is a, a hidden benefit that comes through that process that it, it forces you to thin the herd down. And it, and if you're listening to this right now and you're frustrated with your task manager, no matter what it, the task manager, I don't care what app it is. Um, if you're frustrated with that app, consider this, spend an hour this weekend and cut like one half of the tasks out of it that you have in there. 
Because you know what? You, you could probably get away with that and then see how you feel about it. You may find you like your system a lot better. Have you played around with any of these um, paper planners? I know I was talking to um, actually a friend of the show, Victor Medina, and he is all in, I think, on Michael Hyatt's new full focus planner. Yeah, I, I hear about these things a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty big into the whole fountain pen paper world. It seems, uh, that's a whole nother show. The pen addict, go listen, (laughs) go there. Um, but because of that, I have found that one week I may use one system and the next week I'll set it up differently or, you know, the way that I take my notes changes so often that it's, it just gets frustrating whenever I have so much structure on there. So I'm just using like dot grid blank notebooks because I, I just don't want the structure. I think, you know, there's a lot of these like bullet journals, one of them that I hear quite a bit, but there's a lot of those out there. If those things work for you, great. If Michael Hyatt's thing works for you, go for it. I'm just not one that that works for. I I think I've got a little bit of a free bird in my head that just likes to float with whatever works at the moment. And if getting certain things out in a weird way gets it off my head and I can think straight, then I'm going to do that. So I I don't like structure, I guess. Yeah, but I, I think Michael's got some great ideas. And if you do want something that's just done for you, I would recommend checking those out. I I also have an analog book. I, I don't talk about much on the show. It's my deep, dark secret. But I have one page per day and then a couple pages per week. And I am, like you, I use a dot grid. And I was looking at it the other day. And like even over the course of a few months, what I write down every day has changed dramatically. So, uh Good for you. And, and all right, since we've talked about pens so much, I, everybody, Joe is a big fan of fancy fountain pens. <laughs> Give us one, Joe. Do you want a beginner or like a mid-road? I'm not giving you any further guidance. You get, <laughs> get one. Can I give you two? I'll give you two. How about this? All right, so the one that got me started is the Lamy Safari fountain pen. I'm an extra fine nib guy uh, with that. So that, that was my starter pen. And then once I started writing a lot... Then I got into the Twisby Diamond 580, and that is my go-to pen for most everything that I'm using. And that one's, I've got a extra fine nib on that one as well. And just so, so the listeners know, Joe showed that pen to me like three or four times in Illinois. <laughs> he wants me to buy it. and I do. I, I have to admit, though, I was a little disappointed you didn't have a pen with like a eagle feather hanging out the back of it. Yeah. Sorry. Like have a knife in your pocket so you can sharpen it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's not the only thing you do analog though. Uh, I know that you have the world's largest whiteboard in your office. Yeah, this thing is awesome. So where I'm sitting in my desk, it's off to my left and just a little bit behind me. This is a four foot by eight foot, uh, whiteboard and it's not, it's not your typical whiteboard. Like this is not one that I've just ordered online. I literally, I just went to the big local big box store, bought a sheet of melamine and then did the whiteboard paint on it. And that is it way cheaper than most of the other whiteboards I've done. Uh, but I like it cause it's a little bit bigger and I can stick it anywhere I want on the wall and I could cut it to any size I want. A little, it's the size of a sheet of plywood. <laughs> well, that's a minor point. Like it's, it's nice, <laughs> but it's, it's super handy for things when I'm, I'm doing some big brainstorming sessions or I'm trying to work out some financial situation or, I mean, you name it. Anytime I've got something that I'm trying to see a whole bunch of pieces of at one time and I just need to 
put a marker in my hand and go to town, that's what I use. So it's it's proven extremely helpful. And it's even come in handy sometimes when we've had friends over and they're trying to explain something like, no, come here, let's go, let's go down, go down to my office, give them a, a marker, and then they sketch out whatever it is they're talking about. It's way easier. Wait, 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 Joe. So when your friends come over, you take them to your whiteboard? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, it has happened. Is that weird? That might be odd. Sorry. I, I think if I did that, my wife would murder me. <laughs> it's way easier. What can I say? I understood it a lot easier whenever that happened. I have to mark this. I'm going to share it with her. Maybe she'll maybe she'll come <laughs> along. Now you're going to have to redo your office. You can have space for really big. You, in fact, you could just paint an entire wall with the whiteboard paint. Ooh, <laughs> I've seen people that paint their desk. I actually used to use a whiteboard when I was at the the firm. And, and part of the, the office buildup is a whiteboard, but it's much smaller than Joe's. Mine is like, uh, I think it's 20 inches by 30 inches. And uh, I'm looking forward to hanging it up once I get things going here. What do you keep on? I mean, is there anything that's static on there? Like, do you keep a running to-do list or, uh, you know, grocery list or things I'm going to have for lunch today? I'm just kidding. But um, or, <laughs> or is it constantly in motion? No, that's a good question. Uh, right now, it's completely blank. Uh, that has a lot to do with I had some big brainstorming stuff I was doing yesterday afternoon and when i finished up i just snapped a picture of it wiped it clean uh every once in a while i'll have like a two or three week period where i've got something up there static that's you know a longer project that's going on that i just need i need this information available quickly and i want to be able to just glance over my shoulder and see it like that does happen but probably 90% of the time it's empty at the end of the day i'm snapping a picture of it and and closing it out so that's Kind of boring, I guess, but that's it keeps it clean because then I don't have to worry about, you know, my, my office doubles as a family room. So we'll have people over and that's where we tend to hang out. So it, it makes it such that I don't want, you know, if we're going to have people over, I don't necessarily want my work stuff on there uh, just all the time. So I do clear it off just from. Uh, I guess a privacy stance would be the 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 reason there. Well, and you mentioned snapping a, a picture of it. Do you do that regularly with your analog stuff? Do you snap pictures of it and save it digitally? And if so, where do you save it? Yeah, no, it's uh, most of that doesn't. The whiteboard does, but most of the stuff I'm like the brainstorming sessions and such that I'm doing in my paper notebook, it doesn't go anywhere. It, it stays there. It will. It will oftentimes get translated into tasks, into OmniFocus or projects for uh, the the development team that works for me, but. Outside of that, it, it just doesn't go anywhere. Now, when I do snap a picture, uh, su no surprise here, I have my own personal discourse instance. So <laughs> I use discourse personally as a notes system, kind of like a replacement for Evernote or OneNote. I kind of made my own. Uh, of course I would, right? So I, I have that discourse instance, and every time I've got one of those notes, I'm creating a new topic in there and just attaching the image to it. So... That's probably a very web developer solution <laughs> to a, a notes platform, but that's that's how I'm storing it. So it's always on that website that I've got for myself. Yeah, one of our biggest reasons for having diverse listeners into the show that do lots of different things is to give our listeners a, um, a, a chance to hear how other people are doing things, to pick something up and say, hey, I could do that. I have a real hard time getting behind recommending people put together a discourse forum for their notes. <laughs> That's a rough one. That's it's a bridge awesome, too though. far. 
So it works great until you don't have an internet connection. Yeah. When Joe turns it into a product, then we'll look at it. But I mean, that, that's a rough one. Unless I guess you're a discourse developer. Yeah, I should probably make a plugin and sell it and just, you know, have it do that automatically. But yeah, it's it's still just a this this works for me. I know of one other guy that does that. Uh, and it's because I basically nagged him until he does it. So I, I don't know that I would recommend that unless you're a web developer and willing to go through the trouble of spinning up a discourse instance. Yeah, I, I don't recommend it. But do you, know, do you have to give your uh, photos a specific naming convention or is it just attached to a project in discourse? I usually just name it with the project or multiple projects. Um, you know, the searching system inside of discourse is pretty, pretty intense. So I just make sure that the words that tie to any and all projects that are on that whiteboard whenever I do it are in that note somewhere or in that topic somewhere. And it finds it when I search for it. I'm I'm not one that does a lot of intense tagging or categorization. Like I'm not doing a lot of that just because I tend to rely on search. And that, that tends to fall through on pretty much any system I use. I just dump things into a big archive and then use the search functionality on it. It's way easier for me. Well, I, I do think, Joe, one of the lessons learned from you, though, is to consider some of these analog tools because sometimes it does jog something loose in your brain. And while I'm not sure I would run to my wind-up record player to play Miles Davis, you know, the HomePod's pretty cool for that. Um, I do pay attention when you talk about some of your analog tools because, I, like I said, I do think there's something to that. I will say, like, I have never... So this past weekend my family and I went camping for four days or so. I have never, when we're outdoors like that, I've never found myself sitting at a picnic table with the sun rising and a cup of coffee with my computer out brainstorming over something that has never happened. But I will do that almost every time with a notebook. Like something about that is just very different. My brain can just, it loosens up and I get better ideas that way. And I think a lot of the success that my business has seen, I think I can attribute to that because a lot of the little details of how I've worked through a lot of that, they came to me through this process of putting things down on paper. So I highly recommend it. It's, it's served me quite well. Yeah. I, I, for the longest time, I, I take a, like a two mile hike every morning and where I live, we've got, I can do the, the suburban one on the street, or I can actually go into the woods and do a hike. And for the longest time, I did that always listening to a podcast. You know, I would just put a podcast in and, and I, I probably shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but once in a while, <laughs> I don't listen to a podcast and I just go out and take a walk. And it's the same thing. You get, sometimes you get ideas that you wouldn't get otherwise by just getting yourself out, moving around and, and eschewing the digital. Yeah, I, I, sh- I should also say I tend to leave my phone behind a lot of the times too, just because I don't want the ability for that distraction to come in. So I, you know, I I like to separate, which is kind of true for a lot of people who work in the tech industry. Like if you work on building things for the web or these devices, it seems like a lot of people are, you know, they're very careful with how they use it and how they spend their time on it. I'm no different in that. Like I, I do a lot of things on analog and it's primarily because I, I see myself getting more ideas and I, I have the clarity of mind more when I'm using those. But it also is because I work on the computers all the time. 
So at some point I got to step away from them and I, I can't just live on them constantly. So I try to give myself that separation and treat the computers like a tool instead of a place to be. So that's, that, that ends up being the way I try to see it. So I, I do try to keep that separation. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by 1Password. You can learn more and save up to 20% by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU. 1Password is the one-stop shop to keep your digital life secure, always available, and safe behind a password that only you know. It includes a suite of award-winning apps from the folks over at Agile Bits, including apps for Mac, for Windows, for iOS, and for Android, which means everybody can use 1Password and have their passwords available to them anywhere. 1Password features a secure digital wallet to allow you to securely store information like credit cards, receipts, and a whole lot more. Of course, it gives you a place to automatically save and store all of your secure passwords so you can have strong, unique passwords across all of your various websites. They include browser plugins, so it's easy to automatically fill those passwords across any various websites with just with a single click. And my favorite feature is the 1Password Watchtower. 1Password Watchtower allows you to stay proactive in fighting your security breaches. It helps users identify accounts that have been affected by breaches, and they have made it better than ever in the latest version of 1Password. Watchtower has always kept you on top of things like when maybe you're accidentally reusing the same password across multiple sites, when you haven't changed your password in a while, or maybe when you're using an insecure password, it'll alert you to those things. But it also now will plug into the Have I Been Pwned feature to help you find accounts that have been compromised based on email addresses associated with the accounts. And it will do it without sharing your information with anybody. They have a new feature called a breach report which allows you to quickly query compromised accounts based on an email address and lets you know which of your logins may have been compromised without compromising your security. You can learn more about this and all of the amazing features in 1Password by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU. And as a listener of this podcast, you can save up to 20% on 1Password for an individual or for a family plan, which means you can share that protection for your whole family up to five people. So head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU and thanks 1Password for your continued support of the show. Joe, one of the things you've started doing recently that is new is uh, in relation partly to the Productivity Guild um, forum is you're doing some live streaming. Yeah, that is a whole new ball game. <laughs> that's that's a different animal altogether. You know, I, I've done some screencasts in the past and I feel like I'm decent at that. And I've done a lot of podcasting. I've 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 done all of these different aspects. And the video component is very interesting to me. And I, I will say that the concept of me being on the the stream itself is different. But at the same time, it, it's fascinating to me whenever you're doing a screencast and you're doing it live and people can watch it. Like that is just very different <laughs> because you're going to get feedback as you go and you're going to see the things that you failed to talk about as you're going through it. So it's, it's just very different. I would recommend it because it forces you to think through things even before you, you hit the, the go live button. But yeah, that's a different thing altogether. It's been fun, but it, it's been a new experience for sure. So what's the gear involved and how if someone out there wants to start streaming, what do you do? Yeah, it's it's going to be dependent on a good Internet connection. 
And I, I will say that my connection in the house is pretty good, but it could, it would be, it would help to have it quite a bit better for like the sort of thing that I'm doing with that. So I, I can't run it quite as well as I want to. Um, but the gear that I'm using for it right now is my typical podcasting setup, um, which I guess we didn't even talk about that, but I use a, a Shure Beta 87 microphone and then I've got a Behringer 1204 USB soundboard that I use uh, that that is plugged into. I have some qualms with that soundboard, but it does a really good job of giving me pretty much everything I need to get the job done. And for the most part, you can't tell the difference between that and some of the higher end soundboards. At least my ears don't always catch the difference. Um, you can if you pay attention, but that's going to take us down on the weeds. But anyway, that's that's the podcasting gear that I'm using. And then the software on the Mac that generates the stream video itself is OBS. So it's open broadcast software, I think is what that stands for. That's like the de facto live streaming software. And I've got it tuned uh, quite significantly (laughs) to get that to give me what I want. Uh, With the IT director stuff I do at the church, we do a fair amount of uh, live video stuff. So I'm used to tweaking live feeds and such but then i kick a an hdmi out out of my mac into a teradec video and it's not the pro version but that is an external video encoder and then that little black box is what takes the video and sends it upstream to the server that then turns around and serves it back to the folks watching so it's pretty basic when you know all the components but it's overwhelming if you've never dealt with any of that before now do you need to have your own i guess you need to have your own server to make that work or a a virtual server of some sort uh it depends on how you do it Uh, i just use vimeo they have a live streaming structure on their side that i have access to um for other purposes that are business related and you know, I, I do some live streaming and such for some clients here and there now, now that I've been into this, which is why I did some of the, the, the Vimeo pieces. So they act as my external server. So this Terra deck, I'm pointing it to Vimeo and then they give me the embed code to put wherever I want. So that's what I'm putting on the, the productivity guild. So that's where that live stream lives. Now, if someone out there is interested in doing this, maybe they've got a business they want to do some live streaming for. Is there any resources you'd recommend them going to to get started? Oh, good question. I don't know that I have a single, which is unfortunate because I feel like I spent hours and hours and hours studying this. (laughs) And it also helps that I had some in-house people at our church that specifically taught me how some of this stuff works. So my teaching came from experts in-house, hands-on sort of thing. So I, I don't really have anything. I'm sorry. I was going to say, how do you know when you reach the threshold of wanting to do your own live stream versus going on one of these third party services that offers the ability to live stream? Is that, you know, based on wanting to make it a a business versus a hobby? Is that based on the type of content you're doing? Is that type is that based on on viewership? Because, you know, there's a big difference and a big price difference between you know, live streaming on, you know, Facebook Live or one of these other services versus, you know, professionally doing it yourself. Yeah. Uh, Some of this has to do with your tolerance of third parties tampering with your stream. And I have very little tolerance for that. And I'm also a big 
proponent of convenience. I should also note that the live streams I'm doing for the guild are behind a paywall. So whenever I'm doing that, I have to have the ability to control who can see it. And as far as I'm aware, I don't have a way to do that with something like YouTube Live or Facebook Live or such. I know some of the services like Ustream can do that sort of thing. Um, but And I haven't looked into them a lot, but last I knew they do tamper with your stream a little bit. Like they do some compression and such on it, which for most streams is probably fine because it, it makes it better for the viewers on the other end of things. I just don't like that. And I, I want to be able to control it. That's why I go the Vimeo route. And it, it has a lot to do with the convenience and control side of it. So I think if you're if you're just wanting to play around with it and you're wanting to use it as like a branding tool and just get familiar with it, say you're a small business and you want to try live streaming and say, you know, here's a big event that we're doing, come check us out. Like that would be really good to put on something like Facebook Live or YouTube Live because then you're reaching the general public or I think at one point I think I saw Instagram was going to get to where they were doing some live streaming as well, but I don't think they allow us to use what's called an RTMP server, which is what you have to use to do that sort of thing. Um, but last I knew Instagram didn't open it up to where you could do that sort of thing. You have to use your phone itself. You can't use like the encoder system that I'm using. Uh, so all that to say, I think it really depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to reach people and trying to build a brand or a business, that would make sense to put on like social media and such. But w- what I'm trying to do is sell a product and that's a different animal. Like that's a different process altogether. I think you need to make a a 24 hour live stream of you um, using your wind up record player, playing Bixby Burbeck records. Just while I'm working on the whiteboard. Yeah, exactly. Just, just (laughs) let's workshop that. (laughs) Perfect. I might might pay for that. I'm just saying. (laughs) Joe, uh, since we'd last talked to you, um, one of the things that you've done is you've gone from a solo business. Maybe this is a free agent talk someday, but there's a tech side to this. You, you were a guy who was a solo developer for all intents and purposes. You, somebody hired you, you wrote code for them, you made their website or you made their discourse forum. And you made a choice a few months ago to say, this isn't, you know, I want, I've got something special that I'm good at. I want to bring on people to help me. So now you're managing a business. You have employees. As I understand it, some of your coders are all over the world and you're managing multiple projects and multiple people and you're using your apple gear to get that done yeah and it's it's pretty intense too uh so right now i have i think it's four different people who are doing some contract development for me two of those are international so that means that not only am i paying attention to things during my work day, but I also have to, at the end of the day, make sure that I have things set up and spelled out in as much detail as I possibly can for these other two guys who are going to end up doing things while I'm in bed. And then they have to make sure that they can detail things out as best they can so that I know what happened while I slept. <laughs> so it's, it, it is a challenge. Um, we have a lot of tools and such, I assume that you want to get into here, but it, it is interesting how when you go from doing things on your own, even from an invoicing stance, like when you're doing things by yourself, it seems like from a freelancer stance, other companies and other people will grant you certain liberties. Like you can get away with, uh, you know, non-branded invoicing structures. But the moment that you become 
like a quote unquote legit business. And I hesitate to even use that term, but people know what I mean when I say that. So you're not freelancing anymore, but you're managing a business with other people involved in that business on a regular basis. When you make that shift, the client expectation jumps significantly and they expect certain contracts. They expect, you know, statements of work. They expect certain branded invoicing. They expect all kinds of abilities and ways to pay you. There's just a lot of details that you now have to provide whether you really want it to or not. And all of that adds to the overhead, which means you got to add it to your pricing. It all adds up over time. But I, I think we've built, I've built a lot of tools into the the business that have allowed that to be simplified. Um, probably the central hub of that is what else? Discourse. <laughs> so get, get the recurring theme here. Uh, when you build on top of a tool that I see is flexible, it, it's easy for us to use it. So we do all of our project management. Anytime I've got a new client or a project for a client, it gets its own topic and discourse. So, you know, in uh, Mac Power users, the talk forums, every time someone has a new question or there, there's a new topic to talk about, someone creates a new topic. Well, I do that exact thing for a new project. And then all of the conversation about that project happens right there. And then I'm linking those projects back to a master client topic that only I can see. Like I don't need like the the developers don't need access to all the client information, but I do and I can see that, but they can't. So all of the, you know, customer relationship systems and all of the project management systems, all of that is done in discourse and it just keeps it all unified, makes it super simple for us. And honestly, if you're a, if your employees or your contractors can't figure it out, their job is to make discourse for them. Right. So right. That's a, that's a warning sign there. <laughs> yep. Yep. And it's, it's, it's helpful too, because what we do is discourse development. So if our own team management system doesn't do something that we want it to do, we just add the feature ourselves. So <laughs> it always does what we want it to do. So we don't ever have to fight it. One of the best bits of wisdom I've had from being a 25-year business attorney is um, one of the biggest risks to a company that people don't realize is when you go from small and successful to medium or large and successful, there's all these new elements you have to track. And I do think technology is really one of the keys of helping yourself make those transitions safely. Um, how, how, In addition to the, the project management via discourse, what are the other ways that you're keeping track of what's going on in your team and, and hold it all together? The the whole team operates, like all of our email and everything operates off of the Google's, the, the G Suite stuff. Uh, so we've got all the drive and such. Well, every once in a while I'll have clients that they need us to track time for them. Well, uh, two of the guys use Toggle for that. And then we use the API to port that direct over into a Google Drive uh uh, one of the spreadsheets there. And then I share that spreadsheet direct with the client. So then every time there's time logged on their retainer or something, they automatically get to see it. That will make some business owners freak out a little bit because it means that your contractors are directly communicating with your client. 
I'm okay with that just because I know my guys are honest in the process and I work out all the details with the client. So I'm managing that and it has never bit me. I think when it does, I'll probably change my mind, but until then I'm okay with it. Uh, so that's, you know, the, the G suite side of it gets us quite a ways. There's a lot of times when we need to have like immediate conversations and the discourse instance, although that's great for, say asynchronous conversation it's not too good for in the moment i need this question answered right now it's not real good at that the de facto answer to that is slack in today's world but discourse is open source software which means that so much of what i do revolves around the open source code community and the slack alternative for that is rocket chat and so we have our own rocket chat server set up and we do all of our immediate conversations there. I say that, you know, I've got two guys that are international, but at the same time, there are a little bit of overlap every once in a while when one guy's working late and I'm up early or something. Those can be overlap time periods and we'll jump back and forth on the, the rocket chat system to, to get that stuff resolved. Uh, probably the big one for us. Real quick on that, though, on rocket chat, because that's new to me. I hadn't heard of that until you told me about it. Um, how does it compare to Slack? I mean, in terms of features and strength, are you, is it, is it primarily the attraction to you, the fact that it's open source or does it have some feature that makes it uh, special? I can't say that I've run across features that are in Slack that I don't have in rocket chat. I can't say that I've run across those. Uh, well, I will also preface this with, I'm a heavy Slack user as well, because a lot of my clients want me as a part of their Slack channels. Uh, last count, I think I'm a part of 38 different Slack teams. So if I were to turn on notifications for Slack on my phone, it would just buzz constantly. It would literally never stop. <laughs> it would just go on and on and on. So I'm very familiar with Slack. People use it, you know, being across that many teams, you get to see all the weird ways people use Slack. Uh, I can tell you that we use Rocket Chat in a very simple form. Like it is basically a text conversation. So we're not doing any of the complicated integrations. We're not doing any of the bots and stuff. None of that is on there. So I can't tell you if there's something along those lines that people would be dependent on that you can't do in Rocket Chat. So I'm probably not the one to answer that, David. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. I'm a big fan of Squarespace. I use it for both Mac Sparky and my law practice. And if you've got a move to make, make your next move with Squarespace. With Squarespace, you get a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So why should you turn your business or personal brand over to one of these big online services that want to own everything? You should have a website. Use that website to create your next online store, a digital portfolio, or even just to make a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got you covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Years ago, I switched over to Squarespace because I was just tired of dealing with trying to keep my website running. I have never regretted the move because ever since I did that, the website just works. 
If I get linked by a big site and get a lot of traffic, Squarespace keeps up with me. If I want to make a little design tweak and not have to hire a designer, Squarespace can handle it. No matter what I've wanted to do with those websites, Squarespace has been there for me, and the whole time it looks beautiful. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, and to show your support for Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for all of their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So you mentioned some of the tools that you were, were using and um, what are you using for like your, your day-to-day managing, you know, customer support and, and those types of things? Are you still doing all of that yourself? Yeah, right now I am. And this is where things get kind of geeky and it might get down in the weeds, but there's a second discourse instance that we're using <laughs> for support, of course. See, and here I thought discourse was just a forum software. Yeah, it gets pretty intense, but it, it is possible to set it up to where it can operate as like an email in support structure ticketing system. And I, I have that set up. It's a purely, you know, there is a public side to it, but the the business side of it has uh, like private PMs. So on MPU Talk, there's the private messages that you can send. I have it set up such that if you email the support line on that, it will show up as a private message for a group. And that's how I handle all the client interactions there. The reason I have that is because I know that at some point I'm going to be bringing somebody on to help me with the client management side. And I want the whoever's coming on to be able to just jump in and have the full history of those conversations without me having to send them emails and, you know, do all the sharing of what's in my private stuff. I just I don't want to deal with that. So I just preemptively just decided this is how I'm going to manage that. So it acts as an email support structure is the way that that operates. So that's that's the client, I guess, support side of it. That's how I handle all those conversations. I think it's good logic to have a system that you can bring someone in and have the full history. I'm not sure discourse is going to be a solution for many people, though. No, most likely not. Um, because the the Procourse business is, and I don't even know if I've said that, so the name of the business is Procourse, but so much of the Procourse business is discourse uh, development. I, I kind of have to. like it, it's It's a way for me to say, I'm so all in on discourse that I can help you out because we use it for everything. Like it's kind of a calling card of sorts. So to me, if there's a part of the business that I can manage through discourse, I feel like I should. And the, the other benefit of that is it also means that I can always tweak and adjust it to exactly what I want. So if it's not doing something that I want it to, we can always fix it. So that's, that's a lot of the reasoning there. So what are the parts that you can't run off discourse? You know, what are the tools you need that, are outside of that probably the biggest one in my world is passwords it it is very common for me to end up with three or four passwords for each client that i get um i was just pulling up uh i use one password for that for both me personally and for the the business and me personally right now i have just under two thousand passwords in there right now and that's that's a lot <laughs> like there's a lot of them in there so what we do from a business stance is i have a canned 
username that we use across everything. There's always the same email, which is just a, a generic email that we use for all those accounts. And the only difference is the password that's dedicated to each individual site. So I always get a user account on the person's site or their server. It always has the same username. And then if one of my guys need to go get onto that, they can just pull up one password, get it, drop it in, and they're good to go. So that's probably the big one. You're using one password for teams for that? Yeah. Yep. And that has been a lifesaver. <laughs> and are you able to limit like different guys access to different websites? So like not everybody gets the same access? I could, but I don't. And part of the reason for that is because I know there are sometimes, sometimes mid project, someone may have a family instance come up and then I need to shift that work over to another person and it needs to happen within a couple hours, but I don't want to have to go remember and, you know, follow all the paths and put together checklists and stuff on who has access to what it's way easier to just say, okay, let's, let's just plan on working in certain ways. You guys know what you have access to or what you shouldn't have access to and they they manage it. So part of the key is making sure you have people you can trust. So <laughs> that's that's the big part of it. And, and you know, and but the, you do have those vault systems. So if you if you get like your employees grow, you can limit access that way, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So it's it's setting us up for for future growth there, which is nice. Uh, I just don't need it yet. Anything else that you need um, that's not in, uh, not built on your own custom discourse? Yeah, I know, right? The probably the big one that, and I, I this thing has saved me. I don't know how many hours. I should go look at the report while I'm talking here. But Text Expander, uh, I know that's you know Smile has been a sponsor of the show multiple times, but uh, within the last okay, so I got my report here like a week or so ago. It saved me 34 hours in the last month's time. So uh, that's easy. <laughs> e- easy sale right there. Yeah. And, and they're a sponsor actually of this show. So I don't want to go crazy on it, but I, I get those reports too. And it's like when you figure out, Oh my goodness, I, I saved a day. In your case, you saved a week. Anyway, sorry, I'm sounding like a, a pitch man again. So <laughs> you may do your ad spot for you. <laughs> it, it's impressive Joe though, how you have, um, cause you just kind of one day just started telling your friends, Hey, this is growing and I've got people, at least that's the way it seemed from the outside. And, and it is impressive that you've got all this infrastructure and, and I have full faith that you're going to pull this off. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. And Joe, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about kind of the subject of your business. And I know you, you did that mini interview with David and a couple of, and, and Rose a couple of shows ago about discourse. Well, you've alluded to it all throughout the, the episode. These are the things that I'm doing with it that are a little outside the realm. You know, you're using it kind of as your, um, your own personal, uh, task management, not task management system, but your own personal database and your own personal support system. But let's talk a little bit about discourse. You've, you've kind of built your business around that. You, you're heavily invested in the system. For, for people who are kind of scratching their head going, okay, what, what is it? Let's, let's back up big picture. What is discourse? Well, the easy way to explain it is that discourse is for forums what WordPress is for blogs. Like that's the easy way to think of it because the business models are almost identical and discourse is designed as forum software for the next 10 years. Like that's, that's one of their pitches. And the thing that I like about it is that it's 
pretty intuitive. It's very gamified. You know, if you're on the MPU talk forums, you've probably learned that by now. And it has a whole structure to help people learn how to use it that's built into it. That's that's a lot of their thing is making sure that if you're new to forums, you've never posted on forums, this is the one that they want to use to help you learn how to get engaged online. So it's an online community. And there are a lot of different ways that people use it. And you've heard me allude to numerous of those at this point. But probably the most common ways that I see people using it are discussion forums for a given topic, you know, things like let's talk about Jaguar cars like that, that exists. And, you know, I've even seen forums around tomatoes, growing tomatoes like that. There's a lot of these things out there, but probably the ones that I work with the most are support forums for an app or a tool, you know, the drafts app, uh, agile tortoise, they, they use it for their support forums and discussions around the, the app. So, you know, that's how they're using it. That is probably one of the most common uses for discourse, but it's, it's forum software is what it is. And who is, is going to be your, your typical market? I mean, obviously Mac power users, we have an audience, we have people who we want to engage in discussion. Um, we were on Facebook, but, you know, for a number of reasons, we talked about wanting to get off Facebook. When do you think people might be a candidate for, yeah, I think I might want to want to form around my product or my event or, or my service? Yeah, uh, I have a tendency to tell people to start one regardless of where they're at. Like I tend to see it a lot like a blog in that people say, you know, get it started right for it regularly and start to build your audience. Like that is a thing that people talk about a lot. We won't talk about how little Joe actually blogs right now. So there you go. That's, you know, airing the dirty laundry right there. But when, when people talk about building a blog, one of the most common things you saw for a long time was comments on those blog articles. And that is something that you can do with a discourse instance. You can use discourse to run comments on a blog. In fact, I think that's where I first saw it. Yeah, and that's how I used it to begin with. That it was one of the first instances that I started uh, started up for was I was using it for comments on my own blog, and then I realized that that community kind of took on a life of its own, and then it got rebranded and shifted over, and that's what is now today the Productivity Guild. So that is becoming you know it's become its own thing. So. I tend to tell people, you know, if you're interested in building an online community and conversing with people who are in your audience, you should start one. Like I I figure there's nothing to lose on it. I mean, it's going to cost you a few bucks a month for for hosting, but what won't? And it's something that gives you an avenue to connect directly with people. And that is something that I feel like is done wrong in a lot of ways online. Uh, I, of course, am very biased. (laughs) You've probably noticed that by now. So I I have a tendency to say, you know, start a discourse instance and then you can use that to build your online community, not necessarily your audience, but that's a way to build the community side of it. Um, As far as like who is making that move from a business stance, honestly, a lot of it is people who are on Facebook who are moving off of it. Uh, That that's a really big crowd right now. Uh, The other one is people who are on older forum software for support forums, and they're trying to move over to something more modern. Those are easily the two biggest markets. And is one of the benefits that, you know, I'm registered for discourse now because I I use the MPU forums, but now can I use that 
do I have to have multiple logins for multiple discourse forms? Yes. So they're all separate sites. So again, you got to think about it like WordPress. Every instance of discourse is completely different. Uh, they don't talk to each other. They've had conversations about allowing that, but I'm not sure how many people would opt in to allow a central hub of all the user accounts of their people. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> like, what I'm thinking of is I actually have the discourse <laughs> app on my iPad. I'm like, well, then why do I have multiple things in here? Because I've signed in at some point, I guess. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. It, it is kind of nice though. Like I use the app and I have, I'm signed into the MPU, the talk, uh, And I'm into the automators, uh, discourse group and also the productivity guild. And it is nice when I can just sit down and go through the three that are on my list in one app. I, I think that is kind of nice. Yeah. I have a bunch. I think I've got like 18 on mine. Well, I mean, you're probably doing ones for customers and everything else. Well, those are in there temporarily, but I can't help myself. So every time I find one I like, I'm adding it to that. Go figure. So what is the, you know, what do you get with discourse beyond like a traditional forum? I have found it's easy. Like I I know that's hard to quantify and I can't say this is the, the feature that makes it better, but the overall experience, well, I'll put it this way. I read forums for a long time and never, ever signed up for one. Never did. And then I ran across uh, a discourse instance, which I think the first one I ever saw was the Omni Group forums. So the Omni Group has their support forums on discourse. Well, with that, I realized, well, I can start a whole conversation here. And I was in the process of building out my own OmniFocus course at the time and joined the forums. And it was super easy. It was super engaging and they made it simple. And I got to use Markdown to write things. And everybody loves Markdown, right? So because of the simplicity of it, I then I just found myself getting involved in forums. And today, like, I have a hard time signing up for accounts on things that aren't discourse communities just because I know they won't be as simple as that. So I end up not <laughs> wanting to be a part of those. Uh, which is why I was so excited when you decided you wanted to move over to discourse from Facebook. Cause it meant that I could actually be a part of that community. Cause I just wasn't going to do the Facebook thing, but that's old news at this point. But I, I have just found that the ease of use of it is a huge asset that you just don't find in other forum software. It's remarkable. The number of, of listeners that have got on board because we got off Facebook, but, but if you're angry at me about it, still you, I know you don't have to email me again. It's okay. <laughs> Um, Joe, one of the things you also do, uh, you, cause just talking to you in Illinois, I didn't realize you are an IT guy for your church. So yeah, yeah, I guess you're volunteering or helping out there a bit. And, um, one of the things you said to me is, oh, I still get to work with PCs. <laughs> I, there's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, but, you know, I, I, and I don't want to go into this at great length because this is not a show about PCs, but I am. I used to work with PCs all the time with the ones at the law firm. I haven't done, I haven't been, had my hands in the PC game for several years now. Uh, how's it going over there? Are they, are they any better at this point? I, I know windows has made several uh, iterations over the last several years. I, I will say that they have tried. Uh, I will give them kudos for giving it a shot. Uh, I will also say that every time, well, here's a good, here's a good, you know, point to put on the bulletin board here. I have a note 
in my database that is uh, titled Reasons I'm Mac. And I add to that list on probably at least a monthly basis, if not weekly. And it has to do with number of times I've used PCs and had problems that I should never have. <laughs> so it, uh, I, I tell people that it, the, the old rule of thumb still holds. I can either spend more on an Apple up front and spend less to support it, or I can spend less on a PC up front and spend more to support it. And to me, the headache of having the Apple product is, or the lack of a headache of having an Apple product is way better than dealing with the support of the PC on the other side. So, you know, as much as they've improved things, Windows 10 still confuses me. Like, I still don't get it. What's one of the best entries on your list, if you can pull it up? Oh, now this is going to get fun. Um, let's see. Go to my special secret website. Uh, probably, here's it's purely a question. Why do I have to remove bloatware to get a good operating system? Okay. Like that. <laughs> so that's still a thing. Like, if you get a Dell, it's, like, full of software. Yeah. Yeah, the number one thing I do whenever I pull up a brand new PC is go in and reformat it so that it's stripping all of the unnecessary stuff off of it. I still don't get it. It takes me anywhere from two hours to four hours to get a PC out of the box and start using it. Whereas the Apple, you know, it's two or three minutes and I'm good to go. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. So, Joe, one of the questions that we get asked frequently from MPU listeners is we have people who use Macs and iOS devices at home, but they still use PCs at work. For And they want to know what are some of the, if you know, app recommendations for people who use one at home or one at work to make the, the transition easier. I don't know if you're in that situation or if you have any thoughts about that. Uh, I'm personally not in that situation, but at the same time, I have a lot of my clients who are in that situation. So, and I'm, I'm working within their systems a lot of times. So they are adding me to their Trello boards or I'm added to their Todoist projects or they've got an Asana team and I'm a part of that. So the, the project and the assignment methods that I deal with are bizarre. (laughs) So I have stuff all over the place, which is why I have a lot of the email notifications on all that stuff turned on. That way it filters all to one place. Uh, but the ones that I've worked with that I have found to be the most simple, uh, with that primarily from a task management system is the Todoist setup. Like that seems to be the cleanest, uh, that I have run into. Maybe that's because I'm such a strong OmniFocus user or power user of sorts. Uh, that might be why, but basically what it comes down to is anything that's web-based. So whenever I'm putting together notes, structures, or databases, or I'm trying to figure out what task management or project management system, anything that's web-based that works the way your brain operates, that's what I tend to to point towards people. It's really hard, I find, to make a recommendation until you get to know the person. So I'm sorry, listeners, but I would, you know, the, the best way I have found to do that is get to know you know, how do you operate? How many projects are you managing? Are you managing thousands of tasks? Or are you managing 25? Like those are completely different worlds. If you're managing 25, Trello is probably more than enough for you. If you're managing 5,000, Todoist may not even do it. And you probably need to roll your own like that. It, it's so hard to make a specific recommendation, but the, the broad overarching would be something web-based. Like just, I, I tend to just focus on that stuff because you know, it's always going to be cross-platform. 
And, and I would add to that, if you're managing 5,000, you need to get your machete out and go to work. Learn how to say no. <laughs> let's uh, let's head back to the Mac and the, uh, the iOS uh, platform for a few minutes and maybe wrap up a little bit with, do you have a couple of picks of, of things maybe we haven't gotten to, things we haven't talked about, um, but that people you really like or you think people should know about and be using? Sure. Uh, I would say there's two apps on the Mac that I rely on pretty heavily. The first is for email, which is MailMate. That is my go-to. Because so much of what I do is in Markdown, MailMate allowing me to write my emails in Markdown just makes sense. Uh, That, and I like to look at a single list that's in reverse chronological order. So I like to look at the oldest stuff first. So those two features sold like that was that was easy one for me so MailMate is what i use on the mac for email and i spend a lot of time there how uh, stable <laughs> just on that real quick how stable is it i mean because i've played with MailMate in the past and um just you know it it just was looked kind of creaky to me to be honest with you and so i never it never really stuck with me um but i know they were doing a big update too did that ever happen uh that i don't know I, I'm new enough at it. Like I've been using it for maybe four months now. And I will say that when I first downloaded it, which was actually at Mike Schmidt's recommendation, and I texted him after I downloaded it and I asked him what he was smoking because it's like, are you kidding me? This thing is archaic. Like that was my thought. Um, but he encouraged me to at least give it a shot. So I did. And I, I realized that a lot of the power is under the hood and it's not necessarily in the UI pretty, you know, it doesn't have any lipstick on it. So I, I think it has to do with me being a developer maybe and being okay with the lack of the front end UI, though I sometimes don't use apps because they don't look nice. So that's probably not a good reason on my part, but I, I, I find it extremely stable, David. Like I, I use it a lot every day because so much of client work involves email and a lot of clients treat it like chat just the way it is so i spend a lot of time in with it i can't recall it ever crashing or giving me a problem yeah and i really kind of misspoke i didn't really mean it was unstable just as it just it looks looks kind of old to me you know and i understand writing a markdown is great but I don't know. I, I might have to go look at it again. It's been years since I looked at MailMate. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is it has the Gmail shortcuts. I forgot to mention that. That was a big selling point for me as well because I was coming from uh, kind of... I, I was using Apple Mail quite a bit, and then I was also using Gmail before that. Uh, so I have all of those shortcuts memorized already. So it was kind of nice to be able to move to something that was not as nice as Apple Mail, but it had all those Gmail shortcuts. I really liked that, so... That's why I ended up going that route. And it sounds like it's working fine with your G Suite accounts. Yeah, I haven't had an issue with it. That that hasn't proven anything, uh, any difficulties for me there. I had some more and I interrupted you. So No, the other one uh, that I use quite a bit, what is it, what's it even called? Uh, Forklift. Uh, this is part of the SetApp uh, subscription, which... I highly recommend that thing has been amazing for me. Um, I find that that is super helpful. Now also keep in mind, I'm logging into servers all the time. So this thing allows me to log into servers and then transfer files back and forth between them. So that is super helpful. Uh, but it lets me look at two different sets of folders at one time and then get information about something on either one of them. So that I have seen is super handy, but again, that's a part of the, uh, the set structure. 
Yeah, and, and just to fill in on that, uh, so Forklift is an FTP app, but it's also kind of a finder alternative. It, it, in my mind, it's always been like kind of halfway between the regular finder and Pathfinder, which um, is a lot more, there's just a lot more to it. Yeah, that thing's intense. It's a good middle ground. I mean, uh, and it, the, it's, an, it's, a, it's a solid app. It's been around a long time. And if you're already a, like, like, um, like Joe said, if you're already set up as a subscriber, it's free. Right. Right. Uh, one that is not an app. You, you might, you might not like me recommending this. I'm a Dvorak user. So I have the different keyboard layout. I think we mentioned this at one point when I was on the show earlier, uh, a different episode, but the, I, I use that other layout and that actually has helped me increase my typing speed quite a bit. That's probably one of the best typing hacks I've ever employed. It is painful to switch though. I will tell you that it is not fun trying to move from QWERTY over to Dvorak. But, um, it, I think if you're typing constantly and you can find a good break in, uh, your working world where you've got a month or so where you could make that switch, I think it's well worth it, but I'm one of these quirky, not QWERTY, quirky, odd developer guys that came out weird but i'm one of these odd developer dudes so it's it fits me well that's a whole nother thing (laughs) see i didn't i didn't know if you'd want me to bring that up or not but there you go well joe thank you so much for joining us thank you so much again for all of your help with the uh the mpu discourse group i think it's been a a good switch uh I, i am amazed at uh the intel i i just our, our listeners blow me away all the time with with their uh level of discussion the things that they're doing and if you haven't checked it out uh you should really head over to talk.macpowerusers.com uh joe did a great job setting it up rosen's doing a great job moderating in there and then david and i do pop in from time to time but um it's a it's a great community and and we appreciate all the help that you've given us with that certainly certainly it's been a pleasure it i, I really enjoy having uh, the the MPU talk community to be a part of. So I'm not super active over there, but I try to help out where I can. Tell us a little bit about where people can find you and what you're up to these days. Sure. Probably the best place to find me uh, just hanging out online is the Productivity Guild, which is at productivityguild.com. Uh, that is where I spend most of my time conversing with people online. Uh, the business stuff is at procourse.co. Co. So that's if you're interested in that at all. Uh, Twitter, that's Joe Bulig, J O E B U H L I G. I'm not on Facebook. Sorry. That's, that's kind of the sum total of where I go. So the Productivity Guild and Twitter, it's probably where you're going to find me the easiest. Thanks again, Joe. And thanks to our sponsors today Smile, One Password, and Squarespace. We'll see you all next week.